You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Live from our nation's capital. How do we reopen this economy? The latest on how this pandemic is impacting farmers. What does this do for the United States relationship with China? Bloomberg Sound On. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. We're responding to this crisis and manufacturers are stepping up like never before. We're looking at 70 candidates for different vaccines. How do we make sure a pandemic of this scale never happens again? This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin. Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. A historic day in Houston as the memorial service for George Floyd commenced. This as more talk of a potential, potential bipartisanship emerging, consensus emerging on reform for police and on COVID-19. U.S. cases rise at the slowest daily pace since March, since March, according to the World Health Organization. So a new milestone, a new milestone on that front. And President Trump's 2020 path gets trickier with tag as recession president. We have a lot to get through. I've got an exclusive interview with Mick Mulvaney, Mick Mulvaney, the president's former Chief of Staff, and now he's like the Northern Ambassador to Ireland. I didn't talk about the Irish. I'm sorry, Ambassador Mulhall, but we did talk about about reopening the economy. All right, let's kick things off locally, though. Well, let's start national and, and, and what's going on in the city with the police force as well. Uh, George Floyd's memorial service in Houston. Wow, powerful, powerful. And in fact, I was on Bloomberg Television with Taylor Riggs, my colleague, uh, for filling in for David Weston on on uh, Balance of Power. And the New York Stock Exchange at noon today, just as the memorial service was uh, starting in Houston, had an eight-minute moment of silence in recognition of hu- uh, civil rights, human rights, and equality and, uh, because of the eight minutes of, of George Floyd. Uh, joining us on the telephone line, Julie Zalzmer. Julie, did I say your last name right? Uh, close enough. Well, how do I say it, Julie? I know your byline. <laughs> um, it's Zalzmer. Zalzmer. Julie Zalzmer. She is a D.C. government reporter for the Washington Post, and she's been writing all about uh, the D.C. Council and defunding police reform or police reform because of the protests. And that's where I want to begin. And, and, and I'm, I'm so grateful for your time because 
You really have been one of the reporters out front on all of this. You, you, hear, you see the protests. We experience the protests. You see the powerful images coming from Houston as a, as a result of the memorial service. What's going on in Washington, D.C.? Are we going to be the next Minneapolis in terms of defunding the police? Well, we're not there yet by a long stretch. Um, but when you talk about powerful images that have come out of the past two weeks, that image of Mayor Bowser raising the street sign and painting 16th Street with Black Lives Matter Plaza is one of those images that has made a national impression. But today was the day that the D.C. Council actually got around to looking at let's put this, some of this into action and let's pass legislation about reforming the police. Um, and Mayor Bowser's response was slow down. She said that this legislation to reform the police department in D.C. should be up for more public hearings first um, and really encouraged the council not to pass it, uh, but they ended up voting unanimously for this law. So they vote unanimously. Mayor Bowser joins the likes of former Vice President Joe Biden and says, slow down. Biden going so far as to say he is not for there to be a defunding of police. I've spoken with at least two House Democrats just today who uh, echoed Biden. What does Bowser want? Because I I think, Julie, and and you know this based upon your reporting, tell us what the different factions of progressives mean when they say defund the police. Right. Talking about defunding does not mean take away all the money from the police budget. It does mean look at redirecting some or a lot of that money toward social programs, toward mental health workers, toward people who could replace a lot of the functions that police officers are serving in right now that aren't necessarily the core job of police departments. Um, But that wasn't really the issue before the D.C. Council today. They are working very hard on the upcoming D.C. budget for the next fiscal year right now, and there will be heated debates about what the funding for the police department should be in that budget. Um, But today they were looking at a long list of reforms that don't have to do very much with funding. When we talk about reforms, can you just give us a couple of examples that here in Washington, D.C., they're looking to have? I mean, uh, the police union would be uh, very very much impacted by this, especially as it relates to disciplinary actions and reporting processes. Could you just kind of elaborate on that for us? Thank you. Yes. So you just touched on one that is one of the most significant aspects of this law. Um, The city has said today that they are not going to include the disciplinary process for when an officer does mess up in the collective bargaining agreements that they have with the union, which means next time around that they negotiate a contract, they're going to say, we set the discipline process. That's not up for debate. So we'll see how that goes. There's a lot of questions there. Um, Some of the other things they did today, they banned the local police department from using tear gas or other chemical irritants or rubber bullets on peaceful protesters who are demonstrating in the city. Uh, This doesn't mean that federal law enforcement won't continue to use those sort of tactics, but the MPD cannot now. Um, They required that MPD disclose the name of an officer who uses a serious use of force within 72 hours, um, which is a big change for D.C., Huge change, massive change. What have the police police officers' unions been saying? They're uh, angry. They put yeah. out a statement before this law was passed 
basically threatening that um, many officers would leave the department if this law passed, that there it would lead to increased violence in the city. Um, today, they did have some praise for one thing that got into the law, which was uh, two council members, Vincent Gray and Anita Bonds, suggested, and it was controversial, but ultimately got passed, um, an idea that uh, there be a new police reform commission that would study the issue and come up with recommendations by the end of the year. Uh, so that got a lot of praise from the police union. Um, others on the council said, why are we waiting till the end of the year again? We have the momentum now. All right, Julie, Julie Zosmer, just uh, in the minute that we have left, I mean, Congressman Dwight Evans, he's a, a Democrat from Pennsylvania. He represents West Philly. I was speaking with him earlier today, and, and he said he described it as, as not so much defunding police, but divesting from police and investing or reinvesting into communities. And I thought that was an interesting way to look at it as what's the return on investment been from 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 the from the police beyond beyond just keeping communities safe. You know, if, if, if someone's suffering from mental health, for example, who are the best, what are the best resources uh, that we could uh, invest in uh, to, to better help any, uh, everyone? And, and I, I got to say, I mean, there's so many, we all know incredible officers who are working to, to, to make significant change within their own communities as well. All right, Julie at the Washington Post, thank you so much for coming on. Appreciate your time. Up next, we check in uh, with Congressman Don Beyer. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. Did you see this? The CrossFit CEO apologized. That's right. The CrossFit CEO apologized for insensitive tweets about the protests after Adidas sportswear brand Reebok said it would not renew ties with the fitness group. That, according to the Bloomberg Terminal. And, it, you know, if, if you've been following this story, even here in Washington, D.C., several boxes, as they call them. They don't call CrossFit gyms. They call them boxes. Several CrossFit boxes have disassociated with uh, CrossFit over the CEO's tweets uh reading from the tweets the ceo essentially said glassman this the ceo its name is glassman that he i don't even want to know i i don't even want to read what he said but it was it was very controversial and and as a result of that you've had brands you know uh Part. It's it's a contrast from Roger Goodell of the NFL, who actually last week said that they got the decision wrong in dealing with Colin Kaepernick. There's a great story in the Wall Street Journal. I don't know if you saw this. Andrew Beaton's reporting inside the NFL's 72-hour awakening that goes into how the sports world uh, has had to been or has been dealing with this uh, as an industry. Um, so a shout out to that article. Uh, earlier today on Bloomberg Television, uh, or I'm sorry, on Balance of Power Radio, uh, I spoke with Don. Not that Don. No, 
not that Don either, but Don Beyer. He is a Democrat representing Northern Virginia, and I asked him about the impact about the protests that they're having on the local community, but also about the economy. Take a listen to what he said about the jobs market. The numbers show that most of those were people that were temporarily laid off, and it shows that the PPP, the Paycheck Protection Plan, and those small business loans that we did actually worked. You know, we, we, we basically put $700 billion out there and said, you know, small businesses, medium-sized businesses, we will forgive those loans. They become tax-free grants as long as you hire your people back, and so they did. But we have to remember that there's another 3 million people that entered that long-term unemployed category. And when the BEA adjusts their statistics, it's still north of 16%. Congressman Don Byers on the line. He's a Democrat from Virginia, and he's, of course, uh, on the Joint Economic Committee. You know, what about in terms of people being able to file for unemployment? Because, I, you know, I, I've seen some of your remarks about that you think it's more difficult for folks to file for unemployment, and we got to make it easier for people to do so. How? Well, you know, we, we, we have had 40 million people filed since the beginning of the coronavirus crisis. And initially, the state infrastructures just weren't ready for it at all. The systems were crashing. Phones weren't getting answered. The states have done a good job adapting to it. But the big thing, Kevin, is we have to realize the Congressional Budget Office says through 2021, all of next year, unemployment is going to be north of 10%. We have uh, 21, 20 to 24 million people unemployed right now. So we've got to make sure that all that unemployment insurance stays in place, that the federal government continues to fund it. And I'm a big fan of automatic stabilizers, where most economists are, where the unemployment benefits turn on and turn off by state based on what the need is, what the unemployment rate is. So, Congressman, you know, I was speaking about this earlier with one of your uh, colleagues in the House, and... It's a sensitive topic, but I, I think it's important, especially as we are talking about another round of economic stimulus. So many of these mom and sh- pop, I can't even, I'm so, I apologize. So many of these mom and pop shops across the country and small businesses are not able to get access to the liquidity that they need and the loans that they need from large financial institutions as well as from some of the uh, tools that lawmakers are, have, have put at their disposal. Are you concerned for the, for the small town, uh, small business, that they're not going to be able to get the financial assistance that they need? Yeah, Kevin, I really am. In that first round, the so-called CARES Act, um, you know, we put out all that money, as I mentioned, $700 billion. But most of it went to people that had good banking relationships, good lawyers, good accountants, you know, the, the, the larger size. Those businesses 10 and under, 15 and under, really got left out. They, the so-called underbanked. In the HEROES Act, which the House has already passed, and it's, it's in negotiation with the Senate right now, we did dedicate the first $75 billion just to the businesses with 10 or less. And, you know, they tend to be veteran-owned, women-owned, rural businesses, uh, people of color, um, putting the money where it's really needed right now. So I'm hoping that Speaker Pelosi, McConnell, Schumer, that they can work a deal pretty soon. So it's one thing to get a deal, but it's another in in order to, I I think, 
have this mass education for these small businesses so that they can get access to that. Switching gears, though, Congressman Don Beyer, Democrat from Virginia, joining us on the line. We're so appreciative of his time. Uh, literally, as we speak in, in Houston, Texas, there is the memorial service for George Floyd. House Democrats have put out a plan today uh, of policing reforms. But do you think that that this has any chance of getting signed into law. Republicans have, have come out and, and questioned it. Where's the common ground? I, I think there's a lot of common ground. At least I hope so. I mean, we're doing things like banning chokeholds. And we, people keep dying with those chokeholds, and they're unnecessary. We want a, a national database for police misconduct, including deaths under, under at police hands. You know, the democracy thrives when we know what's happening, but we're driven by data. Then we make good policy choices. I, you know, there are a lot of wonderful cops out there, most of them. But we've got to make sure that we can rein in the bad cops and protect our people. And that should be a bipartisan initiative. So, when, but, but, but how do you do that? Because so many of these Republicans, as you know, I mean, they're saying that, that a lot of these protesters— that this is just a non-starter for them. So how do you, which Republicans or which specifically, is there an appetite to have a smaller version of the bill that could garner Republican support? Well, I'm not sure that Donald Trump will sign any. <laughs> um, so I, I don't know that we want to, to water it down right now. There's nothing in there that's unreasonable. Um, for example, one of the things says that all federal officers will have body cameras. And you've certainly seen that body cameras, they protect, people who are being policed, but also protects the policeman from, you know, um, frivolous lawsuit claims. Uh, it's a really good thing. And we've discovered, you know, a lot of this stuff's been going on forever and ever. And we're only reacting to it now because of body cameras. So these are things that I think most reasonable people can agree on. That was Congressman Don Beyer. For many of you, you're a congressman. Uh, he represents Northern Virginia Democrat. And coming up next, we're going to check in with Mick Mulvaney. You don't want to miss that. And uh, I also just want to note that there's been a White House meeting, according to reports now, coming from Capitol Hill. The White House is arranging a meeting with some lawmakers, uh, including Senator Tim Scott. More next, 99.1. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, chairman and CEO of Steeple. Financial advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. My name is Kevin Cirilli. I'm the chief Washington correspondent for Bloomberg TV and radio. And he calls himself the ace. He is our radio tech producer and he is celebrating his 23rd birthday, Marufal Hussein. 
Happy birthday, buddy. I remember when I turned 23 all those years ago. Earlier today on Bloomberg Television, I interviewed Mick Mulvaney, the president's former chief of staff and the president's former uh, budget director. We talked about all things the economy. Let's roll tape. I absolutely think there's going to be. I just think it's one of those things that Washington does uh, when it doesn't really know what else to do. The question is whether or not they should do it. Um, I'm in the camp. I think uh, Mitch McConnell was there at one point that says maybe it's a good idea to wait. Right? Not all the money has flown out of the first, has, has been distributed out of the first program yet. Um, as you mentioned in the lead in there, you've, you've seen an uptick in the jobs numbers. Um, so maybe now is not the best time. I, I'm not saying that we shouldn't do one ever, but it may be too soon to do it effectively. Face it, when we start throwing hundreds of billions and trillions of dollars at, at problems. Um, one of the things we get that people don't pay much attention to until after the fact is fraud and waste and loss. loss. And um, I, I think the better plan now would be to take a deep breath and see what happens in the next uh, 30, 60, 90 days. You know, Mick, you and I have talked about this dating back to your time in Congress, but the president has really uh, been talking more frequently about the issue of the payroll tax. Do you think that could be a potential solution, or does that just not have any appetite, not just from Democrats, but from Republicans in Congress? Uh, I, I don't know if there's much appetite for it on the Republican side. I know the president has, has uh, said some good things about it in the past. I think one of the challenges you face with that is that it's not very stimulative. Um, it is it, it is a way to get more money in the into the middle class, but not not the most stimulative type of program that you can have. That being said, it's better uh, it's better than say a um, unemployment scheme that pays people not to work. Um, similarly, you know, a uh, going back to work bonus is probably not the most effective way to to uh, to get the economy jump started. But it's better than giving people an incentive to stay home. So you got to look at it, Kevin, in terms of a, a relative on uh, a relative scale. Congress is not famous for doing the absolute best thing, but sometimes it's best for them, you know, it's an accomplishment just not to do the worst thing. And if the next stimulus, uh, if it comes, and I, again, I, I think this probably going to come at some point in the near future, as long as it right. doesn't do anything to warp things for the worse, then I think you're okay. This issue of record number of Americans filing for unemployment as the economy reopens, are you worried that there might not be an incentive for people to go back to work, especially if they're potentially making more money on unemployment? And how do you make sure that that doesn't happen? Is there a disincentive to go back to work? No, there absolutely yeah, is right yeah, now. Yeah. There's folks who make more money staying home. I mean, there's been anecdotal evidence against uh, anecdotes is not uh, does not equal data, but there are stories about folks getting mad at their employer for not taking the program because they wanted to take the unemployment uh, payments because it was more than they were making actually working. Those types of misaligned incentives are are, 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 are problematic, and they are ripe when you end up rushing through uh, large government programs. So, no, I do think there's a disincentive to work right now. I do hope um, that it, that program is not renewed when it comes up in July. Um, that doesn't mean you can't do something right. else, but we should not repeat the mistakes we've already made. We've got one minute left, and I want to ask you about this issue of local austerity, because so many towns across the country are hurting. They're hurting from the pandemic. They're hurting from having to close down. Uh, there's been uh, unrest throughout the country. How do we combat this issue of local austerity at a time when so many local budgets are hurting? Um, you know, that's a decision the localities are going to make. I mean, I know Minneapolis, goodness gracious, is looking at defunding the police, which I think is absurd. A lot of people think it's absurd. Um, if that's what they want to try and do, they're democratically elected. I say give them a chance to do it and, 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 and use that American experiment to, to see if it works. I have a feeling I know how it turns out. 
Um, but I obviously don't think you're going to have a lot of folks start to reject progressivism until they see what it means on the ground. So I'm not a big fan of the federal government coming in and saying you have to do X, Y, and Z. I'm also not a big fan of the federal government coming in to bail out towns and counties and cities. Uh, I am a very big fan of having those localities make their own decisions uh, to the best of their ability. That was Mick Mulvaney, President Trump's former chief of staff. Pivoting now to politics, Scott Tranter, CEO of Optimus and former data science director for Marco Rubio for president uh, campaign. He joins us on the line, and they've got a new pullout. Optimus Polling has a new pullout on 2020. All right, Scott, I look at these national polls. Former VP Joe Biden, he's leading double digits some polls. What do you guys find? Yeah, we find the same thing. He has held a, a ranging from a 5 to 11 point lead over the last month, and it's peaking at 11 points. And for, for what it's worth, Hillary Clinton never held this lead over Donald Trump in the, uh, in the national polling. So this is new territory for a uh, Democratic challenger against the president. So what does Trump have to do to prevent Biden from running away with this thing? Well, it, it's, it's funny. When you look at the crosshairs and you look at what's going on, people would like some calm. Um, you know, it's, they're certainly divided on whether the protests are warranted or not, but they do want it calm. They want the coronavirus to end, and uh, they want to be back and employed. To the extent the president can help with those things, which, you know, is it for another topic, is, uh, is up for debate. But those are the three things they want. Um, and until they get it, they're going to, you know, they're going to assign some blame or some credit to the president for that. They want some calm. They want some, a, sense yeah. of, a sense of calm. Normality. They want normality. Okay, but let me ask this, though, because, I, I mean, you talk to, to the re-election campaign, and they're pointing that this is going to be a turnout election. So if this is a turnout election, it's not going to be a, a campaign of calm, and the president's going to try to boost turnout, and the way to do that is to, you know, let Donald be Donald, right? True. Yeah, I'm not saying it's, it's a it, winning it, strategy. I'm saying it's, it's, that's right now has been their strategy up to this point. And it's interesting. We're, we're voting tonight. There's several states voting tonight. They had to delay primaries. And we're seeing increased turnout because of this vote by mail and things like that across the board, not just Democrats or Republicans. Both both parties are turning out more. I would be surprised. And I'm going to say this early, and this is where my colleagues kind of get on me. I would be surprised if turnout wasn't at least slightly up from 2016. Wow. Now, who that helps, that's a different question. Is there any good news in the polls for, for Donald Trump? Um, in the battleground states, which is really where this race is won, electoral right. college. He is look. He's dipped in the in the in the Rust Belt, Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania. He was leading there in our stuff about eight nine months ago. He's no longer leading there now, but it's still within striking distance. And the only thing I know is it wouldn't be an election season unless this stuff tightened up over the summer as we get into Labor Day. Okay. So I don't think it's over for him yet. Okay, but but you say that he's doing well in the battlegrounds. Elaborate on that, because I don't think people entirely. I mean, you see these national polls, and he's up by double digits. But I mean, if you're polling, it like Californians. I'm not trying to knock California, but Trump's <laughs> not going to win California. But so so elaborate on the cross tabs sure. of what we're seeing in the battlegrounds and demographics. Sure. And and I should clarify, I don't necessarily. He's been certainly trending down in states like Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan, um, states like Colorado. Um, uh, states that he needs to win. These were the states key to his election victory in 2016. And up until a few months ago, he was leading there. Now he's within striking distance. He's behind, but within a few points. And that's where that targeted advertising, you know, this campaign is going to have more money than it did last time. And he's going to be, you know, the power of the incumbency. He's going to need to go to those states, and he's going to need to take back the few points that he's lost there over the last few months. And if he can do that in states like Michigan, Wisconsin, 
um, Pennsylvania, North Carolina, Arizona, Colorado, that's where he's going to be able to come back and, and win it. Scott Chandler's on the line. He's the CEO of Optimus, and he's a former data science director to Marco Rubio's presidential campaign. You know, I'm struck by how the protests have been playing. What have you noticed in terms of polling, or, or are we still we're still kind of in the middle of it? But what have what is the, what have the early polls indicated about how it's impacting policymakers? So the most interesting thing to me about the polling and, and policymakers is for Tom Cotton wrote an op-ed earlier this week where he cited a morning console poll that said 58% of Americans support using United active duty United States um, troops to, to to quell the protests. 58% wait, 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 wait. Of the poll is actually 50% of Americans. Did I hear that right? 58. 58%. Wow. 58% of Americans support using the National Guard. Wow. Um, active duty military. Now, wow. We're going to leave it week, right there. Leave it right drop. there for now. And coming up, we're going to sure. have more on Bloomberg 99.1. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. My name is Kevin Cirilli. I'm the Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg TV and Radio. We had to jump, but Scott Tranter is still on the line. He is the CEO of Optimus, which is a big polling firm here in the nation's capital. He's also the former data science director guru guy from Marco Rubio's presidential campaign. Okay, and Wendy Benjaminson's on the line as well. She is Bloomberg Politics editor uh, and so grateful to have Wendy. Wendy, how are you? Good, Kevin. How are you? Happy to be on the show again. Good. So listen, I'm going to I'm going to ask Scott a question cuz we you guys are working from home. I'm back in the bureau, Wendy. It's not the same. No one's here. I'm alone. But uh <laughs> they're, they're, I'm holding down the fort. Be careful. Be I know. Careful. I know. I know. Um, sorry. I'm like now. Now I'm. I have to remind myself. I'm actually doing a show because I want to catch up with Wendy. Like we're talking on the phone. <laughs> but Kevin, you're on air. Okay. So Wendy, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask Scott a question about uh, the uh, uh, protest polling, and then just respond, and we can have a, a dialogue and a conversation. Okay. So Scott, before the break, you were telling us about how. Use of military force was 58% support, and yet the president's poll numbers have significantly taken a hit. So go, explain this, unpackage this for us. Sure. So in Tom Cotton's op-ed, he references a morning consult poll that said 58% of Americans wanted to or supported the use of active duty military to aid in, in putting down the protests. A week later, multiple polls, including the poll that originally showed that, showed that number declined to below 50 percent, anywhere from 42 to 48. So in other words, in the, over the course of a week of all these people staying home watching this on television, they went from majority of them supporting active use of the military to less than a majority. Forty percent still high. But you can see what the power of the television is and, and how a week worth of news especially over the weekend, really did to some of these polling numbers. And Wendy, I mean, even this on Capitol Hill, Mark Meadows, the president's current chief of staff, was up on Capitol Hill just an hour ago and told reporters that the president wants to overhaul police reform. Meanwhile, Biden has a video at George Floyd's memorial service today. So, I mean, this is this is front and center of the presidential uh, uh, the presidential election. 
It absolutely is, and it's one of those election year things that no one expected to have to deal with at this level, but now they they both, you know, absolutely must deal with this question. And Biden is trying to navigate a very careful spot here between his base of black voters and the law and order white working class, uh, you know, Obama Trump voters that he that he desperately needs to get back. So let's let me let me follow up with that, Wendy Benjaminson, because for Biden to come out and say that he is not for defunding the police, that's got to make some progressives uncertain, does it not? It probably makes them a little uncertain. But the truth is that defund is one of those, you know, um, phrases that has come to mean whatever the beholder wants it to mean. I mean, what Biden is talking about is putting more money in community policing and putting more money in training and getting a use of force standard. I think there are very few people on Capitol Hill or off who really mean take all money away from police departments. I mean, there are there is still a need in this country for police departments um, of some kind. And so I but I do think you're right that there are some progressives on the left and some of the activists in the protests who will wish for more and will push him for more. Uh, Scott Trainer, uh, a strategist and a CEO of Optimus, uh, which has done all of this polling. You know, I hear Wendy uh, talk about that, especially on the issue of defunding the police and, and, and where Biden is. I mean, he's got a, a, a pretty solid lead uh, and is leading at least slightly in, in the battleground states. But where are Americans on the economy? Who do Americans trust right now with the economy in terms of reopening? Well, it, like all polling, it kind of depends on who you ask the question. But by and large, the president holds um, a net positive support among do they trust him to to handle the economy. Again, it varies on wording, but but he's largely there. And that, that's kind of where Republicans have been historically. And, and that's why you see the president out front, you know, pushing these states to open up and saying people need to go back to work. So, Wendy, the calculation, I mean, I was talking to sources at the Treasury Department on Friday and and they were breathing a sigh of relief. They think that the that the job support is is good for them. Uh, the 2.5 million jobs added to the U.S. economy, uh, the biggest you know ever, as states have have at least in recent years, uh, as states are continuing to reopen. Democrats question that report, obviously. But is that something that makes Biden world uneasy, uncertain? If this is an economic election. Well, the economy is going to be a big part of the election, absolutely. But I don't think that May jobs report makes them uneasy at all. Those apparently, from what Bloomberg is reporting, that those are the people who were temporarily furloughed who are getting their jobs back as businesses begin to reopen. That's 2 million more people employed. There are still 38 million people unemployed. And and black and Latino unemployment is still hovering around 16 or 17 percent. So Biden has plenty of space to argue that the economy under Trump is not working. Is there anything that Trump world feels confident about or are there any, you know, uh, any anything that they're optimistic about or they feel that, that it's going to propel them? Wendy. I think they're really hoping that the economy will continue to grow and come back as things reopen, as the um, pandemic begins, maybe the infection rates to drop. Um, then they're, that's what they're hoping on is the third and fourth quarter will be much better and that Trump can argue, as he has been, that he he built the economy once. I mean, he didn't, but 
he says that, and he can do it again. Uh, but that's that's his campaign slogan. So he really that's why he got so excited about that numbers Friday. He really needs that number to keep going up. You know, Wendy and Scott, I'll never forget this. A couple of years ago, uh, Frank Luntz invited me to one of his focus groups to observe the way that they conduct the focus groups. And it's like you're in like a police briefing room, you know, and there's like criminal movies where you have the, the glass or it's a mirror wall and the detectives are sitting behind it and that you can't see, you know, you know, what I'm trying to explain, I know I'm on radio and I'm supposed to be more descriptive, but you get my gist. So they put these poll yeah. groups in this room and Frank Luntz, the, the legendary is sitting up there asking them questions of a focus group in front of a mirror. I'm sitting behind the mirror with a couple of other people observing this in real time. And I, every time I read Scott Trainer's polls, I, I, I think of that because this is what, this is what the strategists in Biden world and the strategists in Trump world are going to do. They're going to try to find some type of question or impact and say that's the glean of hope that we need to reshift this campaign. I'm looking at your poll, Optimus poll, and it says almost two-thirds of all Americans, 62%, think the riots and protests will hurt the economy rather than improve it. 26% of Americans don't think they will have any effect on economic recovery. If you're in President Trump's re-election campaign, that's what you're focusing in on. Is it not, Scott? Exactly what you're focusing on, which is exactly why you saw a week ago him come out and do his show of force and his we're going to come out strong and urge the governors and the mayors to shut down the protests. I mean, he's a pretty literal reader of, of polls and takes them at face value, and that's what he read, and that's what he did. All right. Wendy, I'm going to give you the final word. Well, well we're going to see what happens. I, <laughs> I will not believe who wins this election until January 20th, 2021. But um, <laughs> they both have arguments they can make. They both have their base. We'll see what happens. All right, we'll see what happens. All right, Scott Chanter, uh, CEO of Optimus, former data science director of Rubio's presidential campaign, and, of course, the one and only Wendy Benjaminson, <laughs> Bloomberg Politics Editor. Uh, give my regards to both of your family's friends. Thank you. Appreciate it. Coming up tomorrow, we're going to talk more. Mnuchin's on Capitol Hill. Jay Powell's going to be talking. We'll give you the latest policy and politics. Download the Bloomberg Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find me on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. Another happy birthday to our Radio Tech producer, Marufal Hussein, the ace, as he calls himself. And Christine Murata, Matt Shirley, always a pleasure, my friends. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg TV and Radio, and you're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial advisors, let's face it, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. There's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. 
Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.